0: Hi everybody. Hey everyone. I'm Stephanie and I'm Sarah. And, and this, this is Dead, Dead Time, Time Story.
1: I felt like that was really long, but I liked it. It
0: was really long. I got an image uh from the producers when he stretches out that S.
1: I love it. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah?
0: That's because it's our show and not yours. If this is
1: your first time listening to the show, stop. Stop. Go back to the first episode. Start from the beginning. Thank you. Grumble through my mouth a little bit. So much. So much. I love it.
0: I really, oof. All of these could be puns for my story. And the more I think about oh it, the more gosh. that I'm I'm excited to tell you this story. But I mentioned we were talking. It is gross.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> it is so no.
0: gross.
1: Content warning. Just in general. There's a lot going on this episode.
0: Oh, yeah. With, oh I'm, I'm excited assuming. to hear yours, too. Oof. It's going to be good, y'all. Mine's
1: like, yeah, mine, there's just so many questions still. I love it. That's all I can say right now.
0: Ooh. (laughs) But it's exciting. It's going
1: to be a good episode. And then we should have guests next week. Yeah.
0: It's been a while. It's been a hot minute. It's been a while. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, we also, on top of now we got some guest episodes, we did launch our brand new tier on Patreon. And we didn't announce Uh, on here... What that tier was called, I think because we came up with the name of the tier after the episode aired, but I'm just really yes. proud. It's our third tier. It's $10 a month. And that tier is called the Close Encounters of the Turd Kind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we went back and so forth much. for a minute trying to figure it out until we landed on that. But I'm really proud of that.
1: I mean, and we you say we landed on it. Sarah said it and I was like... It can't be anything else. It has to be that. Because I second perfect. guessed
0: it. I was like, that's too long. And she Stephanie did. And was, I was like, like no. no, Sarah. That's she exactly did. right. So go over, check out our Patreon, $10 level, $10 a month, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, gets you access to the brand new bonus series, What Dead Ghosts Do. And it gets you all of I seen tit, which we are about to hit twenty-four episodes of. So oh there's my plenty. Gosh. If you sign up for ten dollars a month, you have so much material you would suddenly gain access to. It's worth it.
1: It is worth it though. There's so much content on there. It's really it's really high quality. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> a lot
0: of content on there. There's like <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> That's a lot. It's just a lot. But we're we're coming on two years on Patreon, which big shout out to everyone who supports us. We're so, so, so thankful for that. But also, I was going through when I was updating everything, and I was like, shit, on top of this episode every week, we do so much more content. And now yes, we're doing even got, we more. We so
1: much bonus content. It's yeah, amazing. We're doing more bonus content. It's fantastic.
0: And it's all for you. So give us your money. Give us your money. 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 I love it. Money, money. Yeah, that was all my fun things that I had to plug until I get into my gross, disgusting story. We have a show coming up in May. Oh, yeah. That's right around the corner. We start rehearsals tomorrow. That's true. Yes, we do. We we start rehearsals soon for our
1: show When Shakespeare's Ladies Meet, directed by Mary Angela and starring a bunch of amazing people that we know.
0: Yes. Us first and foremost, first of
1: all, right. I was like, Us, we're in it. You love <laughs> us, right? First and foremost, Teresa's Argentina. Um, Teresa's been on Teresa, the show, yes. yep. We have Kate Bianco, who I've worked with before with Casa Buena. she is also great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have
0: Angel James. Angel did both of name, our headshots, yep. That's her, I think yes. that's her stage. She name. did do both of our Angel headshots, Angel did both of our headshots, <laughs> and she did. Oh, Nina. Nina? Nina, that's who else is in it. You're right. Nina. Absolutely. And I did Mary Gerard with Nina. So yeah, it's you a did. whole bunch of awesome ladies. going a good be time. It's going to be great. It's going to be excited. great. And
1: that's coming up in May. I don't have the date in front of me right now, but I will.
0: I don't either, but we'll be talking about it up until May and then we'll probably talk it's about true. it for a little bit after it's done.
1: And maybe we'll have some of our co stars on Ooh, in the meantime. that'd be fun. Ooh. Ooh. That
0: could be cool. Getting into more guesty yes. stuff. I'm into it. I love that. Me too. Let's go. Oh, we're also nearing our three it. year anniversary, so we're just we're oh fucking rolling it out.
1: Three years three of dead time whole stories. Three
0: years.
1: Three American years. Three <laughs> American
0: <laughs> years. Whether you want to. I mean, or that's not, five if it's you include here. COVID. Yeah, it's crazy I mean, that well, I guess technically a third of our show has been done in COVID during
1: Corona times. Yeah. I know.
0: Weird.
1: It's wild.
0: Everything's a third wild. of
1: our show probably. Well, no, we don't mention it every week, but I mean we've probably mentioned it a lot, even just in passing.
0: Oh yeah, it's definitely just a point of of regular conversation now because people reach out to us when they start the show and. I guess in the beginning, I couldn't remember the word for quarantine. word quarantine! And everyone is like, this is a little hard to listen to. We all to. have been reminded now. Oh, the irony. Oh,
1: God. I'm, we didn't start makes, it. That's what makes good comedy and good horror is a fantastic sense of irony. That's why Black Mirror and all the things that Jordan Peele have made have been so good. Because Black Mirror was created by a comedian. And we did it in episode one! Why aren't we famous? (laughs) (laughs) We have this amazing sense of irony of that time. We couldn't think of the word quarantine. What's that word? Yeah, we, yeah.
0: We finally got it. Quarantine. Quarantine. Oh,
1: we know what it is now, bitch. We got it, and then we got it. Between that and me playing Riji Rochu at uh, 1257. That's definitely (laughs) your fault. On December 31st. Yeah, 2020, er, or 2019. Yep. Those are the two causes of 2020. That's it. That's it. That's That's
0: wild. Well, now we're getting into our scary content.
1: (laughs) That was just the spooky bits.
0: That was just. Now we're going to get
1: into the fucked up crazy bits.
0: Ooh, girl, you ready?
1: I don't know if I am. I don't know if you are. I don't
0: even know if I'm ready to tell it again. Because I told a little bit to Charlie's mom and then I was like, maybe oh, no. I should have lied and said I was talking about something else instead of actually. Well, you telling her what better I'm get ready
1: because <laughs> I'm about to ask you if you're ready. <laughs>
0: I think I'm ready. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, hey Leslie. Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk, talk about, about some, ghosts? some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? You're going first, correct? I am. Buckle Ooh, up, yes. kids. Oof. Again, I'm buckled. I gotta stop. All right. So, before I fully get into this story, I want to say that I had mm-hmm. no idea about this guy and about this case at all. And it's shocking because this case is right up our alley in a very silly, gross way. And oh, it's gosh. here, it happened here in Philadelphia. So we're bringing it back to the Philadelphia roots. It's a Philadelphia true crime story. And I heard about it from a friend of Charlie's who we got drinks with and he and two of his friends just started a podcast. Of course. Of course they did. And I want to be supportive in the sense of go and follow there can their Instagram. Only be
1: one. This list. is Highlander.
0: But there's a part of me that's like, of course you did. Anyways. Is it
1: a true crime podcast? Yes. Oh, fucking
0: goddamn. <laughs> but they are just getting started. There's three mm. of them. It's called The Good, The Bad, The Murdered. Go check them out on Instagram. Go just give check them a- them out.
1: I'm sorry to talk shit about them. They're going to listen to this and hear me be a bitch.
0: I mean, I don't know if they'll Who listen or not. Who am I, you? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, do as much as we make jokes. We are very supportive of our other podcasters. So to yes, our Dead are. Time Stories hive, just go like their stuff, guys. Give them a little bit of love because they are just getting started. And we're three, oh almost three years old at this point, so-
1: Oh, my God. No, but seriously, go check them out.
0: Go check them out. But because of them, I found out about this guy in this case, and I think they might have already covered it. So, sorry, repeat, whatever. I'm doing it. You can't stop me. (laughs) I wasn't going to try. I wasn't even talking to you. I think I was talking to the (laughs) the third unknown listener who's not here. So, you could try, but nothing's going to happen. This is the story of Ed Savitz. I don't think we have a lot of older Philadelphians who listen to our show, but from what I am aware of, Philadelphians who are even our age, who grew up around here, have heard of this guy. He was known around for what he did. He was known. I'll give a little bit of history before I jump into the big problem, but Ed Savitz was one of four sons of Jewish-Russian immigrants And his parents ran an amusement arcade in downtown Philadelphia, which sounds fucking awesome to be like your parents run the arcade. So he grew up in uh, Philadelphia. So far, so far, he's fine. Seems like someone you'd want to be friends with. Uh, He ranked first in his class of 278 students at West Philadelphia High School and voted most likely to succeed. We're starting out strong. He even won a full scholarship to study economics at the University of Pennsylvania. However, he dropped out after two years. And then he also went to Temple University's Graduate School of Music, but dropped out after two years there, too. So he kind of peaked in high school. In (laughs) 1963, he married his high school girlfriend, Judith. However, they were divorced 10 years later in 1973. In 1975 is the earliest case we kind of can trace it to. So he's divorced from his wife two years at this point. Ed Savitz began doing the things that he became known for, which was paying the young teenage boys in the neighborhood for various articles of clothing for various Didn't they call him Uncle Ed or something? Yep, they called him Uncle Eddie. okay, I have heard about Uncle Ed. We're not even from here. So, Uncle Eddie, Mm -hmm. Fast Eddie, he would pay the teenage boys for their dirty socks, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: their feces-stained underwear. He would pay them for their feces. He would pay them... Buckle in, everyone, because it gets... Very, very gross. It's wild. He would pay them for basic oral and anal sex. And then he would pay them for penis sword fights. He would pay them to slam his penis in a door. He would pay them to pee on him. He would pay them to vomit on him, to vomit in his mouth, to poop on him. And to poop in his mouth. He even had a squatty potty chair that he would lay under so that they could sit.
1: I'm, just, I'm This is one of those times where I'm sad this isn't a visual podcast. Because I wish you could watch Sarah telling this story right now. Because it's so awful. That's <laughs> so funny. But also these boys like fu- but it's it's funny but it's also like fucked up. So but it's fucked. also like funny, but it's also like fucked up.
0: But the thing that I get it. What <laughs> because you one part of this story is that this guy was doing this for decades. He did this from yes. 1975 to 1993. He wasn't finally caught and charged until 1992. He had a lot of money, and these teenage boys wanted weed money. And they all knew, hey, if you go over to Uncle Eddie's and you give him your dirty underwear, you'll get 20 bucks. If you go over to Uncle Eddie's and, you know, let him suck you off, you're going to get $25. And they all just sort of knew about it. And then the kids would then egg each other on, yo, I bet you never been up to Uncle Eddie's. Man, I bet you wouldn't do it. I bet you couldn't do it. I'll do it, man. I Watch me do it. And then they go up there and they slam Uncle Eddie's penis in a door and they get $15 and they come downstairs and they go, I did it. And you're like, that's abuse. But, ugh. and they're just, um, I'm going to read a few excerpts from a Philly magazine article that came out in 2008. I'll have to actually look at the date, but it came out a few years ago or no, it came out around the time of the news breaking. So in the nineties and the journalists had interviewed some kids who had openly talked about working for, I guess, working for, cause he got paid working for Uncle Eddie, like fucking Uncle Eddie. Um, but a few other things that he would do is that he would keep the poop stained underwear and keep the poop in his apartment. And he kept it in pizza boxes. And they think what? they're pretty sure he was eating it. And he would also tell the boys to um to make sure they eat cheese to make it taste better. Oh, my God. Yeah. When he was finally arrested, they found in his apartment and in a storage unit, they found over 5,000 pictures of teenage boys and three hundred and twenty bags full of soiled underwear. Oh, my God. So we also and I
1: apologize for using the word funny earlier.
0: Like, it's not funny. It's
1: like it's absurd. It makes
0: me uncomfortable. So I laugh. Right. But it right, also exactly. is like. And
1: I'm like, I don't want to imply that, like, that this is like jokey funny. Like, this is terrible. It's but yes. It's, yes. It's very like it's very out there.
0: Because ultimately he ends up getting arrested because the boys speak out
1: and one
0: boy says something and then the police follow him. They do a six month investigation. And in March of 1992, the investigators installed a wiretap and a hidden camera in his home. And the detectives watched as Savitz offered to pay two 15 year old boys for oral sex. And at that point they were like, got him. And went in and arrested him. He was charged with crimes of involuntary, deviant sexual intercourse, sexual abuse of children, indecent assault, and corrupting the morals of a minor. I'm going to read this other article thing first before I get into the final really, really fucked up part of the story. That also put it in the headlines and kept it in the headlines. Because again, the crazy thing about this is he was known in the neighborhood everyone knew about uncle eddie this one guy who's making a documentary he's quoted as saying there were so many victims so many people knew about it when it was going on and when i was in school in south jersey we even knew that people were going to see uncle eddie to sell their underwear for weed money and he's like people just they just knew And they did it anyway. So this article came out in the AP News in April of 1992. And who did he interview? Oh, he gave it. Okay, so he interviewed a 17 year old kid who gave a fake name, Joe Greenway. But what he said is he described Ed Savitz as being really nice. Joe said he was very cool about the whole ordeal. Like if you didn't want to do anything, you didn't have to do it. And that was one thing that was pointed out in this case is that he never, he would proposition in the sense of where he'd be like, if you're coming to talk to me, you know what I do. It's this much for oral sex. It's this much for that. But he wasn't necessarily grabbing kids off the streets the kids were coming to him and he wasn't saying mm-hmm. you have to have oral sex with me he's like you could just give me your underwear I you mean, could just slam my still, dick in a door
1: kids that's they were the no 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 like, that's,
0: that's where i'm like it's really fucked up that all of this was uh in their mind like in the kids mind is this is okay because he's not making me necessarily e- everybody knows about uncle Ed. everybody knows about uncle ed everybody's uncle been you're weird if you haven't been to see uncle ed It's like a rite of passage. And it's like, no, he makes it through, you know, somewhat through generations. Um, Yeah. For 30 years he's doing this. Yeah, just about. There's uh, one boy that he quotes in this article that, again, it just makes you sad. They're the boy's mentality. But he said, if you were a boy, you'd understand. So it's just it's part of it is he's dealing with under impoverished kids who are like, we need the money. And then then you've got everything else, the peer pressure, all of it. The other problem with this is that when he was arrested in 1992, he then disclosed to the police that he knew that he was HIV positive and he had AIDS. And he had been having unprotected sex with some of the boys. And so at that point, now you're not only dealing with this abuser who's been doing it for decades and people are just sweeping it under the rug and letting it happen. But now potentially they described it as being a fear of an AIDS outbreak in Philadelphia because who they had no idea of knowing how many of these boys he had actually fully slept with, how many of them he had used protection with and how many of them he had not used protection with. So they set up a hotline for people to be able to call in anonymously and be like, Hey, I had unprotected sex with Uncle Eddie and they'd be like, great, come and get tested. Here's what we're going to do. Like they were telling people, if you interacted with him, please reach out. But, you know, some people were still embarrassed and still didn't reach out. And so, of course, there was this huge fear that it was just going to spread through Philadelphia and they had no way of knowing or tracking it. You can't contact trace that, you know. Right. It's just really, really sad. And then the other part is you're dealing with the authorities who, again, are marginalizing this demographic of people, this demographic of boys who are being assaulted because mm-hmm. it's was happening in a bad part of town. He had an apartment in Rittenhouse, but he was soliciting boys in Gray's Ferry. Mm-hmm. Um. And a lot of them just sort of laughed at it. They knew he was around for 20 years. And then the authorities are like, it's, you know, it's the kids no one cares about. Where's the last thing that I want? Oh, the district attorney. Here it is. At this point in 1992, when the district attorney made an announcement about it, he said something that I think is incredibly problematic. And he said that he spoke on television about the appearance of a moral bankruptcy or a dysfunction on the part of our young males. He said these were not kids who were carried off the street by some hairy-handed sexual predator who forced himself sexually on these young people. This is a case—oh, I'm sorry. This district attorney is a female, so this woman is saying this bullshit. Uh, She said this is a case where it appears as though these young men not only went there many, many times, but recruited their friends, their neighbors, and kids around their block. But a moral bankruptcy— they interviewed a uh, president of the gray's ferry community council who said i guess there is a moral bankruptcy but there that's is- what
1: happens with girls too right yep.
0: like that's what
1: happens with that's what happened with nexium mm-hmm. and that's what happened with um uh it's always, the, it's always the girls recruiting their friends. Yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. That's the other one that I was going to yes, say. Yes, yeah. So we're going to be in. like, they were willing participants. They brought their friends in. That's the same thing. That's what happens. Like, when they are groomed that mm-hmm. way, when they're really young, they'll start bringing in other people because that also will get some of it off of themselves if they bring and, in new people to do it.
0: And he gave a referral bonus. Yeah. He oh would go through. He had the Gray's Ferry High School yearbook. And it was basically his directory to his his sources. He would circle It was like a catalog.
1: Yes.
0: It was a catalog. He'd like look
1: through and be like, you know this kid? He looks like he's got good poop. Bring him to me. He looks like he eats a lot of cheese.
0: Bring him. Yes. Yes. And they were like, I'm gonna charge a ten dollar referral fee. He's like, You got it. They're like, Cool. Done. But the thing that this, um, that this last guy said, again, I hate because it's, it is victim blaming and it's putting in them on, putting the, everything on these kids. He said, there's no doubt that this whole generation here and in Ohio and New York and California, there's a moral bankruptcy among these kids. This is the nineties. They don't go to church. They're out smoking pot. It's all part of the problems of today. Really? 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 So that's part of the problem of why this didn't happen is a lot of people still turned a blind eye to it because they were like, well, these kids are out here smoking pot, so fuck them. So he was finally arrested in 1992. They put him on a $3 million bail. He bailed out. The next day they set it for $20 million. He was stuck in jail. And he died from his AIDS, his disease, in 1993 before he could even stand trial geez louise and that's the story of uncle eddie the pooper fetishist of philadelphia the philip pooper
1: yeah it is and it's
0: it's so gross and so disturbing That's wild. But then the small child in me is like, he had a special chair so they could just sit down and he could just roll under it like a car mechanic and just get the perfect (laughs) angle right on his face. (sighs) I've seen (laughs) it.
1: I've seen chairs kind of like that in the fetish community, like on Tumblr and stuff. And I guess you could poop on them. But I people usually call them um, like queening chairs. (laughs) The idea is that, like, a lady could sit there and then somebody could, like, you know, eat her puss and or butt.
0: Oh, okay. Right under. Right. All right. But I'm
1: like, I guess you could also poop in one of those if that's your thing. If that's what you wanted. <laughs> you, I mean, you that's what he wanted. Do that.
0: It just makes me think of the, like, geriatric unit. There is no part of that oh, that, to me, looks sexy. I'm just like, mm, I'm going to have to use one of those when I'm old and can't fully sit down on a toilet or, like, need extra help. <laughs> So I I will have to slightly kink shame. Just his strict kinks, but the fact that he was doing it with boys is too much. But I did I had to make sure that I paid attention to the timeline because I was like, Oh, he got married. Oh my God, was he doing this while he was married? But no, no, he wasn't. And I don't I would be very interested. He took a to break. Know, I would be super interested to know what made him break and then just go into this full force. And be like, this like, is no, who I am. It's, it's boys
1: poopy underpants. That's it. That's all it that does it for me.
0: That's it. I tried. I can't do anything else. I tried else. to have a normal
1: marriage and I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't do, do it. I I need the poopy underpants.
0: I need the poopy. I need you to slam my dick in the door. I asked her to do it. She wouldn't do it. I know. that It's all of these things that are crazy. And he would. He's like, please come and do this to me. I'm not. I don't even have to touch you. But if you come pee on me. That I'm into it. And here's you know, some money. Here's some money. Gosh, I gosh, know. That's terrible. I'm so. It's sorry. awful. For that's why I was like, who, it's really
1: gross. Who has someone that was in that, or that that happened to? That's terrible. Because I'm like, that's here, and that's not that long ago. No, we probably know some people
0: whose like dads might have <laughs> gotten might their have weed money. known Uncle Eddie. Yep. And that's why I'm just like, I'm surprised that I hadn't heard of this story before then. Because I feel like as soon as I covered the pooper intendant, people should have been like, you know, Philadelphia had a way worse version of that. So I had heard of him in passing
1: from John Waters. Because, <laughs> of course, that's a guy John Waters would know about. Of course. But he was just talking about, like, famous perverts. Yeah. And that was one of the people that he mentioned. He's and a he one. And he mentioned, like, he didn't go into great detail about it. He just mentioned, like, he was this guy that for decades would mm-hmm. buy teenagers dirty underpants and people all knew about it and i and was it's like gosh not that's only,
0: wild oh not only the underpants he would just buy them. but that was all he went poop. into like i so, said
1: yeah he didn't yeah. go into greater detail about like everything that he would do yep but i was just like wild
0: so that's my story this week you're welcome everybody hope you're not eating while you're listening to this <laughs> i am so sorry congratulations Stephanie, what are you talking about this week? And that's the first question that I assume will be there. Will be many more coming. There are many
1: questions. The first one is the one that you just asked me, which is what I'm talking about this week. I also, ironically, am telling a Philadelphia story. Oh God,
0: I thought you were going to be like I'm telling the same story, but I did more research. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, I'm telling a different story. Oh, that I is love a Philadelphia it, Philadelphia story.
0: Yay! This is a Philly episode. It is, man. Taking it back to it's, our roots.
1: It is. It's a true crime Philadelphia story, I think, oh. is what you had said earlier, or a Philadelphia true crime story. One or the other. Yes. But that'll be the name of the episode, too, probably. I don't know. You
0: know, yeah, you're the one who does
1: that. It's not witty <laughs> enough. <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> it's Philly turd crime. So I'm also talking about a Philadelphia murder and murder. I don't know if it's a murder. That's a, that's a choice word. Whoa. That's the question. That's what makes it so bizarre. Let me let me go back. I'm also talking about a bizarre <laughs> thing in Philadelphia. Maybe it's a crime. We haven't figured that out. It's been ten years. Who's death? Let's talk about it. Ooh. So okay. <laughs> there was a woman. Her name was um, Ellen Ray Greenberg. She went by Ellie. She was born in New York. Her parents were Sandra and Joshua Greenberg, who went by Sandy and Josh. She moved to Philadelphia when she was going to college, I think. She was really into Penn. She was like, I want to go to Penn. Penn, Penn, Penn. So she was a teacher, ultimately. That's what she went to school for. She was teaching in North Philly. In this neighborhood that I've never heard anybody say out loud. I've only ever read it, so I don't know if I'm saying it right. Juniata?
0: I have no idea.
1: Juniata. (laughs) It's like J-U-N-I-A-T-A. Anyway, it's a neighborhood in North Philly. I'm not quite sure how to say it. I'm so sorry. And I've lived in Philly for a long time, but I've, I've never heard anyone say the name of this neighborhood. I've only read it. She taught there, but she lived in Maniunk.
0: Okay. Which
1: Maniunk is out by where Sarah lives, y'all. Yeah,
0: it is. <laughs> oh, so my God. Could I be rolling up on her body sometime when I'm out in Maniunk in the park? So I will look up where her
1: apartment was, but she was found <gasps> in her apartment.
0: <gasps>
1: but we're not there yet. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. She was born on June 23rd of 1983 in New York. And her parents described her as a girly girl, but she was also very athletic. She was described as incredibly kind and a nurturing soul. And because of those characteristics, that's why she went into teaching. And she was a very, I think she was a first grade teacher. She was very popular. Like kids loved her. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were super into her. She was dating a guy named Sam, and Sam was a local TV producer for like an NBC affiliate. I imagine that he worked at that building across the street from the Target over off of uh, City Ave.
0: (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Because if you, if there's like a Mannyonk, right,
1: that seems like Mm -hmm. a reasonable place that he would be commuting to go to work as a local TV producer for an NBC affiliate. So uh, they were dating for three years, and they ended up getting engaged, and they were planning their wedding for August of 2011. Ellen's father said that she was incredibly excited. She was really into her fiancé. They really liked him. They thought he was a really good fit for her. They seemed like a very happy couple with no issues that anybody on the outside noticed or, you know, thought was going on. So they, her family approved of the engagement. So, like I said, they were supposed to get married in August. On January 26th, 2011, Ellen was on her way to work and she spoke to her mom on the phone. It was a very typical conversation. Talked about taxes (laughs) because
0: it was like, okay, it's January.
1: Mm -hmm. I got to do my taxes for last year. I don't really know how to do my taxes, mom. Like, how do I do Please help me.
0: Please come pick me up. Like that kind of
1: deal. Yeah. So, um, like I said, it was snowing, and she was working, which she was a school teacher, and the snow started really coming down, and school ended up closing early, so Ellen went home. She helped get all of her students, you know, taken care of on the bus, whatever, mm-hmm. gets where they had to go, and once all of her students were taken care of, she filled her car up with gas, and then she went home. She hung out with her uh, fiancé for a little bit, Sam, and then he left to go to the gym. Sam came home from the gym. I believe he was gone... I'm not sure if it says how long, Um, but he was gone, I mean, not a suspicious amount of time, maybe like two hours, right? Mm -hmm. When he came home, he went to open the door, and you know those, like, sometimes they're in apartments or in hotels, those metal, not the chain, but like the little latch that flips over, the little Mm -hmm. metal latch, that was locked. And they only ever locked that at night when they went to bed. There was no reason that she would have locked that. Because if she knew he was coming back from the gym, that was yeah. the only place that he went. So he was trying to get in and he couldn't get in because that lo- that latch was locked. So he starts calling her. He's texting her. Um, he's trying to get a hold of her over and over again. He can't get her. He can't get her. He's like, I'm starting to get really pissed off. Like, where are you? Why aren't you getting the door? He went down to security and told the security guard, hey, like, I, my fiance locked me. I don't know why. Like, it's locked. I mm-hmm. can't get in. She's not answering me. Can you let me in? And the security guard told him that was against policy. They couldn't do anything to help him get in. Um, but he said that the security guard came with him because he said he was going to kick the door in. And he wanted the security guard there. So uh, Sam goes back upstairs. He finally kicks the door in, and as soon as the door is opened, he sees that uh, Ellie is slumped over in the living room, like, <gasps> very apparently dead. Oh, no. He uh, called 911, and he, uh, like, tried to figure out what to do. They told him to try to do CPR, when he went to do CPR, he found that there was a knife still lodged in her chest.
0: Oh!
1: And they told him to not do CPR. Please
0: don't. Don't. Don't do it. Please
1: stop. Uh, when the paramedics came, there was nothing that they could do, and Ellie was dead. With a knife so in her chest? The knife was... There was a knife in her chest, yes. <sighs> okay? Okay. Okay. So, they took her for an autopsy, and upon getting her to, you know, the coroner's office and doing a further examination, they found that Ellie was stabbed about 20 times. <gasps> 10 times to the back of the neck area. Oh! And 10 times to the chest. Mm. Yes. So... The other thing was there was some blood. There were traces of blood in the kitchen and there was blood on her, but there wasn't blood everywhere.
0: Did like it didn't look like she put up a fight?
1: She had no defensive wounds.
0: What?
1: Yes. This only there's like I said, it only gets more and more strange. She was also holding, like clutching, a white kitchen towel that was pristine. There was no blood on the towel. A perfectly pristine white kitchen towel in her hand.
0: How? How? I'm I'm, I'm like speechless. Were there any drugs found in her system? Like maybe she was drugged and then stabbed and so that's why? The only drugs found in her system were her
1: prescriptions. And in regular amounts. Not like she had taken a lot of them or she had taken not enough of them.
0: Was there carbon monoxide in the apartment? No. I don't... Nothing ugh. like that. Ugh. So,
1: initially, okay. it was ruled a homicide because she had all these stabs, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, no idea how this could have happened, right? But, ultimately, they were trying to figure out what was the stab that killed her, what was the order of the stabs. She also mm-hmm. had a gash, like, on her head up here.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but... They also never did a luminol test of the apartment, so there could have been more blood that got cleaned up, but we don't know
0: oh. because they didn't
1: ever test for that. Oh, no. So this case was handled all kinds of ways.
0: Real poor, not, not good, all bad. Yeah.
1: Some of her stab wounds were very superficial, like less than a centimeter deep, whereas some of them were as deep as... Uh, one of them was four inches Wow. I want to say that there was one that was bigger than that. That's the longest one that I see on this list. But she, like I said, she had 10 stab wounds to the back of her arm. Um, She had bruises. Some of her bruises, it looked like were fresh, but some of them looked like they had been there a while. Mm -hmm. And they weren't quite sure... Some people said that they could have been from like physical activity because she was athletic, maybe yoga or Pilates. She just, um, herself, and her yeah. parents said that she didn't do yoga or Pilates, but I'm like, she did other athletic stuff. But they thought that the bruises were strange. Her parents hmm. did. Mm-hmm. So she also had a two inch stab wound to her stomach, she had two and a half inch gash on her scalp. Um, and at the end, the autopsy, remember I said, they at this time, they ruled it as a homicide. No one from the police station or the medical examiner's office contacted the family about the change in the case they found out through the news. What? Yeah.
0: I feel like that's not how that's supposed to happen. So, one, oh,
1: girl. So many things are not how they're supposed to happen. Once the case was ruled a homicide, the Philadelphia Homicide Unit decided to step in and examine the situation, and the Homicide Unit looked at Sam's key fob records to track where he went in the complex. The Homicide Unit also was able to see that no one unauthorized entered the complex. Sam's alibi was a match, and he was cleared from the suspect list. Later, a few days later, uh, the police announced that even though the medical examiner had ruled the case as a homicide, they were still looking at the situation as a suicide.
0: But she had stab wounds to the back of her neck.
1: Yes. So there's conflicting opinions about what was was found with her stabbing of her neck. Okay? So initially they said... That her spinal cord was severed. And if her spinal cord was severed, then she wouldn't have been able to fight back, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why she wouldn't have had defensive wounds. Uh, Or if this was what they call like a blitz attack, a -hmm. blitz attack is when someone is so surprised and so shocked, it happens so quickly that they don't even have time to react. Yeah. So if someone came up from behind her and just very quickly, like stab, 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 and got her in the spinal cord, she would have gone down and had no way to defend herself as they stabbed her again.
0: That's a terrifying thought. That at any point someone could just be like. Shank, shank 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 and you're just yes. down for the count
1: however one of because i said many people looked over it had different opinions one of the medical examiners said that the while the se- the spinal cord was hit it wasn't fully severed and what that could mean was that she could have still had total motor function but she could have made herself numbed And when she wasn't, when it didn't hurt, she could have kept stabbing because she still would have had full control, but she wouldn't have been feeling the pain.
0: So that's how she's choosing to go. If she's committing suicide, she, but then how would she have no blood on that rag in her hand? That combination
1: with the latch being locked from the inside made the police decide that it was a suicide. And that's what they ultimately ruled on the case? They re-ruled it as a suicide. Um, she was in therapy. So remember I, I mentioned she was on medication. The medication she was on was Zoloft. Mm-hmm. Two months leading up to the incident... Uh, She did mention that she was under a lot of stress, but she was also a teacher, which is a stressful job in North Philly, which is a rough neighborhood, and she was planning a wedding. Mm -hmm. So there are plenty of things that were reasonable for her to be stressed about, Mm -hmm. Um, but nobody said that she had any one thing going on that sounded like it was worse than anything else. She had had a conversation with her parents about the possibility of coming to stay with them for a while and come live with them in Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. Um, She said it wasn't related to Sam and it wasn't about that, that she was just really stressed out and that she just, you know, maybe needed some time away. So ultimately the police said that that was enough evidence for them to have ruled it a suicide.
0: All right. Well, what about the people on the internet? What have they found out?
1: <laughs> Many people, of course, including her family, mm-hmm. do not believe that this was a suicide. It does and not sound like And the biggest issue like it. with it being ruled a suicide means that if it's ruled a suicide, there's no further investigation. Mm-hmm. So the police aren't doing anything to look into finding her killer because the police believe they've already found Ellie's killer. It's Ellie. They think It's Ellie. So the police were looking at this as a suicide due to the lack of evidence of forced entry. Others argue that this could not have been a suicide because of her stab wounds to the back of her neck. Stabbing yourself in the neck is extremely difficult, especially on the back side of your neck. Mm -hmm. Research shows that about 1 to 3% of suicide attempts are by stabbings which that's very low. Another thing people have been arguing over is the fact that Ellen stabbed herself multiple times. Mm -hmm. And usually if people do stab themselves, for whatever reason, they move their clothing before they stab themselves. And she was stabbed through her clothing. Through her
0: clothes. Huh. Yeah. And I would assume if you're trying to stab yourself to kill yourself, you're going to hope that it's one and done.
1: Right? You would hope. So... A lot of back and forth. Um, Now, initially, some point later, first people said that they didn't find anything on her computer. Then they had other forensic computer specialists search her computer. And they said that they had found the phrases quick suicide, painless suicide, and suicide methods were found on her laptop.
0: So then, why would she choose the one that sounds the most painful? Very painful.
1: Also, according to a later (laughs) investigation, it appears that she was attacked with two different knives, that some of her wounds are with a serrated knife and some of her wounds were with a smooth knife. And the knife that was found like in her was Mm -hmm. the serrated knife. But there were wounds that were inflicted with a smoother knife.
0: Hmm. So there's another murder weapon out there.
1: So either she stabbed herself a bunch of times and she didn't bleed, but had time to switch knives, or somebody stabbed her a bunch of times, maybe cleaned up, Mm -hmm. because we don't know, there was no luminal test, and locked the door from the outside. Now, one of the private investigators that was later hired by the family said that you could do a Google search on how to lock one of those latches from the outside, and that somebody could have done that that's not he's like if that's the thing that they're stuck on as to how this couldn't be a murder like they're completely wrong
0: (laughs) yeah i feel like those those are hard to try and get open from the outside but to close it is incredibly easy you just need like a little hook and then pull it before you close the door yeah done i can't believe they didn't do any more research into like who might have been pissed at her
1: so, years later, you know, we have the internet. <laughs> um, her family actually uh, decided to sue the city of Philadelphia in 2019 to reopen the case. That goes back to, that goes to trial this year. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So, maybe we'll finally. Sam
1: has never done any interviews about the situation. After, like, Two years or so. Like, he had kept in contact with the family after her murder or mm-hmm. suicide. Uh, after her death, I should say. Yeah. He kept in touch with him for, like, two to three years. And then he was like, you know, I'm trying to move on with my life. You know, I wish you all the best, but I can't let this, like, hold me back anymore or whatever.
0: So he hired a really good hitman.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 He doesn't come out to the public. In 2020, some more information about Sam was released. Oh! <gasps> including how Sam acted at the scene.
0: Ooh. Tell me. Sam's
1: story was that he was kicking down the door with a security man with him. Phil, the security man, said that he was never with Sam, that he never left his post.
0: What? That's a major detail.
1: He also said that he noticed that Sam was wearing boots and not sneakers because he thought it was really weird because he was at the gym. But it was snowing. It was snowing. You're right. That's fair. He could have. So had he might issues. have had another he might have had two issues in the car. But that was something that he noticed. But, yes. Here's here's another thing. Sam called two numbers before calling nine one one. Who did he call? What are those numbers? The first number was his parents. The second number was his uncle, who is an attorney. Could be coincidence.
0: My jaw is dropped. Could be. He had to call mom and be like, I snapped. You remember how I killed our puppy as a kid? So I snapped again.
1: So both his parents and his uncle were on their way to the scene before he had called 911. The dispatch officer also said that during the call, Sam was completely calm. They also reported that when Sam was asked to perform CPR, he said, do I have to?
0: This is the woman that you claim to love that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Sam,
1: when he, when he said he realized that there was a knife still in Ellen's chest, he said uh, to the dispatch team that she probably fell on it. He did it. Like I mentioned he did before, there's little, no <laughs> there little to no blood at the crime scene, um, but there was never a luminol test, so we don't know if there had been a lot of blood that was, cl- that was like, cleaned up. It was also recently announced to the public that the door was not kicked down. The door had little to no damage. The only damage found was on the lock. Um, and that one of the screws, the lock that was, like, the latched mm-hmm. lock,
0: yeah, that one but- of the
1: screws was missing. That screw was never seen again. Sam's family returned to the crime scene the day after the crime. They collected Sam's devices and Ellen's laptop and cell phone. So they had those devices before they were handed over to the police.
0: He did it. He did it. He did it. And like Jean Benet Ramsey's parents, they're covering up for him.
1: I don't know if they're covering up for him anymore. Like they just, they hadn't suspected him at the time. But some of this information like was also like the police really didn't communicate with them, yeah, so they really didn't know what evidence they had or didn't have, and they were going off of off of um Sam's story we yeah. we got that information from Phil later from investigations done by the people that Ellie's family hired because yeah. the police aren't investigating
0: the police were just like, Sam said this. And it kind of looks like it could be a suicide. So we got a lot of other cases to handle right now. Let's just cut this one a suicide and move on. If you're interested
1: in this case or if you're interested in helping Ellen's family, you can uh, find them on Twitter and on Facebook uh, at Justice for Ellen. That's the tag that they use. And like I said, they are trying to get the Philadelphia Police Department to reinvestigate this case to classify it as a homicide and actually figure, try and figure out what happened because they don't believe it's a suicide. So if you're interested in helping them, you should check out their, their pages.
0: I don't think it's a suicide.
1: I don't think so either.
0: And I think that the non-emotionally responsive fiance had something to do with it. Which it always and I know this because I listen to a ton of Dateline and do this podcast. It's always the spouse. It's always the person that is supposed to is supposed to have your back. Like more than anyone else is supposed to be your person and they're like, I'm gonna take your life. You're the one who fucking ends you. And that just terrifies me. That's terrifying. (laughs) Charlie, don't kill me. Please. (sighs) Val, don't kill Stephanie, please. You guys don't don't team up and figure out a way to kill both of us, please. They don't listen to this. They're going to do that. Charlie listens. But you know what? There's going to be a Netflix special, so. That is. And you know what they're going to say at our funeral? They're going to be like, we did it for their one dying wish, which was to have a Netflix special.
1: And they're going to pick the worst pictures for us.
0: Oh, for sure. Definitely. I hate it. Yep. That's uh. that's, well, that's my our story, stories. <laughs> Be careful of your spouses because they might try to kill you.
1: They might and try to kill you.
0: Uncle Eddie around the corner will buy your dirty underwear. So Philly is a weird Philly's town, a weird place. It's weird. <laughs> Keep
1: Philly weird, y'all. Oof! But without the murder, and the Philly is fucking around use. and finding
0: out every day.
1: Oh my God! Philly invented fuck around and find out. I know. It's a wild place, y'all.
0: Fuck around and like turn here. Out. I don't know. I love it here. <laughs> yeah, call me weird, because I love Philly. I'm into it. I'm here for it. I love that this was a an unintended Philly an episode. An unintended
1: Philly episode. I know, right? Isn't that wild? I love that. I do too. It's
0: great. Going back to our Come roots.
1: to our our weird city when it's safe to do that. Support Philadelphia and support our podcast, you should subcri- subscribe to our Patreon. Please. We have a $1, 5 and a brand new $10 tier in addition to our $15 tier. Bah, 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 bah. But the new $10 tier is the third one. So you could call it the Close Encounters of the Turd Kind. That's what we're going to be calling it. I'm super excited about it. Sign up for the Patreon, get the bonus content, email us if you like at deadtimestories, with a Z, at gmail.com. You can also, of course, give us a lot of help by giving us a five-star review on iTunes, because that's how the little algorithm sends new people to our show, so we can berate them and tell them to start the first episode. Yeah, you idiots. If you
0: made it this <laughs> far and this Dummy. is your first episode... Woof! get ready! We're about to go listen. in on you. You don't listen to us, do you? I'm sorry. We love you, but please go back we love to the beginning. You. Thank you so much for supporting our show. I really thank appreciate you. We it really, though. we really, really appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I'm Stephanie, and I'm Sarah, and this, and this has been, been Dead, Time Dead Time Stories.
1: Thanks for listening. Thank you. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Kernison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Sarah, I was did you freeze? To her. And she came in and I was like, "I can't hear you." And then Sarah was like, "Which Sarah?" So I was like, "Ah!"